Welcome to First Do No Harm with Massachusetts Citizens for Life board member and physician, Dr. Mark Rollo. This broadcast will focus on medical ethics from a Catholic perspective and address abortion, physician-assisted suicide, contraception, natural family planning, IVF, healthcare proxy, and other topics. Please be advised that this show may not be appropriate for children under 13. Hello and welcome back to First Do No Harm, a show about medical ethics from a Catholic perspective. I'm Dr. Mark Rollo. Last time in part one of my interview with attorney and executive director of Massachusetts Citizens for Life, Patricia Stewart, we discussed legislation that she has submitted on behalf of MCFL to fight unjust laws regarding abortion. The legislation consists of five separate life-affirming bills which seek to chip away at the grotesque pro-abortion laws that exist in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. We reviewed two of these bills, and today, in part two of my interview with Pat Stewart, we will discuss the other three. Let us first, as always, begin with prayer. For as stated by the U.S. Catholic bishops, only with prayer, prayer that storms the heavens for justice and mercy, prayer that cleanses our hearts and souls Will the culture of death that surrounds us today be replaced by a culture of life? O oh God, we love our country. And in the wonderful patriotic song, America the Beautiful, we pray that you mend our every flaw. There is no flaw greater than allowing more than 60 million of our brothers and sisters to perish in abortion over the last 50 years. Enlighten our minds and soften our hearts until every human being is welcomed in life and protected by law. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. America has its collective eye on the Supreme Court, which will begin hearing oral arguments on December 1st regarding the most anticipated case regarding abortion since Roe v. Wade. That case is Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, the Mississippi law passed in 2018, which limits elective abortion to 15 weeks gestational age. Mississippi's 15-week law was invalidated by a lower federal court, and after being heard by the United States Supreme Court in December, there is the distinct possibility that Roe v. Wade could be overturned. Now, while states like Mississippi and Texas and many other states have moved to protect 
the unborn and their mothers by passing pro-life laws, Massachusetts has responded in the polar opposite way, doubling down on death by trying to codify Roe v. Wade into law with the horrendously extreme Roe Act, which allows abortion up until birth and even after birth by way of passive infanticide. It also further endangers women, subjecting them to late-term abortion outside of a hospital in a clinic environment. Only seven, seven out of 198 countries in the world allow elective abortion after 20 weeks of pregnancy. The United States of America is sadly one of them. This puts us in the company of countries like Communist China and North Korea. Countries which have horrible records on human rights. The Roe Act was rammed through the Massachusetts legislature late last year on the day after Christmas and makes our state one of the most brutal jurisdictions in the world regarding abortion on demand. Specifically, the Roe Act allows abortion in Massachusetts through all nine months of pregnancy. It eliminates any requirement that even late-term abortions be performed in hospitals. It eliminates the requirement to make efforts to care for a child who survives an attempted abortion. It eliminates any requirement that a pregnant minor over 15 have any adult consent parental or through the courts, before undergoing an abortion. This is extreme by any measure. By contrast, according to the Charlotte Lozier Institute, which is the research arm of the pro-life Susan B. Anthony list, European abortion laws limit elective abortion to 12 or 15 weeks for the majority of European countries. Zero out of 50 states in the United States limit elective abortions to 15 weeks. Currently, the United States Supreme Court precedent allows for elective abortions through all nine months of pregnancy and only permits states to enact limitations on abortion after viability, a legal definition which has not kept pace with science and is usually marked around 24 weeks, even though some babies have survived when born at 21 weeks gestational age. Mississippi's law limiting elective abortion to 15 weeks is, therefore, among the mainstream in comparison to European limitations on elective abortion, where the majority of European countries that allow elective abortion limit it to 12 weeks. 
The two bills we discussed last time that tries to chip away at the monstrosity that is abortion law in Massachusetts were House Bill 1535, an act relative to unborn victims of violence, and House Bill 1534, an act to establish criteria to assess the maturity of a minor seeking an abortion. Today, we will discuss the other three bills. Here now is part two of my interview with Pat Stewart, Executive Director of Massachusetts Citizens for Life. Uh, the third one that has been uh, filed by MCFL, and that is uh, an act related to unborn uh, victims of Down syndrome. And there has been a hearing uh, on that, which we, uh, uh, we and others uh, testified on. Uh, can you go over that bill, Pat? Correct. Well, Down syndrome, as some of your listeners may know, is a genetic condition mm-hmm. that delays physical and intellectual development. In Massachusetts, it occurs more often than any other birth defect. But despite developmental delays, individuals with Down syndrome achieve successes. Many elementary school-age kids go to school, attend regular schools, High school students graduate with degrees and Mm -hmm. go on to graduate schools. Some become celebrities like actors Chris Burke and Tommy Jessup. 88% of children born with Down syndrome reach age 20, and many live into the 60s and 70s. So in other words, a Down syndrome diagnosis is not a death sentence. Shockingly, though, in Massachusetts, despite these prospects for to live a life that is full and meaningful. In Massachusetts, 49% of babies diagnosed prenatally with Down syndrome are aborted. And this raises the specter of eugenics, uh, which in past years, Massachusetts and the United States culture has resoundingly rejected. There's a phrase that's been coined to describe what goes on with this huge abortion rate for Down syndrome, and it's called velvet eugenics, which is the commercialization of reproductive services. It was a phrase coined by a bioethicist, um, Rosemary Garland Thompson of Emory University. Mm. And when you you look at what's going on with Down syndrome, it's hard to ignore the fact that we are approaching that state of wiping out generations of people with Down syndrome. As a matter of fact, in Iceland today, no children are born with Down syndrome. Yeah, and they're very proud of it. Every single one of those babies is aborted. Yeah, yeah, and they're they're proud of it. You know, they... Yes. It's it's really disgusting, but they're... You know, they think think this is is some kind of health care to wipe out people who are um, somehow disabled, in this case, with uh, Down syndrome. Well, this is, you know, patently just discrimination against unborn children diagnosed with Down syndrome. So to steer us off this path of selective reproduction, this bill, House Bill 2409, doesn't ban any abortion. It merely prohibits an abortion provider who knows a pregnant woman is seeking an abortion solely because of a diagnosis, a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome, Mm -hmm. prevents that abortion provider from performing the abortion. 
the woman is still free to seek an abortion from another provider who is unaware of her motive. Uh, abortion access is available and convenient in Massachusetts. Over 87% of women in Massachusetts live in a county with a clinic that provides abortions. So the bottom line is that no one is perfect in this world, yeah. but everyone has the innate ability to make a contribution to society, and that includes individuals with some form of birth defect yeah. or other um, disability. Yeah. And we would hope that this bill will get the attention of the legislature and that will enact it in order to prevent what is a looming specter of um, eugenics mm-hmm. in this commonwealth. Yeah, these uh, people who have Down syndrome, they make us all better people because we we can look at their their loving nature and their innocence and uh, it calls on us an, an empathetic response to help take care of them. And like you say, the, the, these uh, in, individuals contribute to society. They have a life expectancy uh, well into the 60s. You know, I remember the hearing, and you hit a nerve when you were going over this because one of the more ardently pro-abortion senators was incensed, and she said, she said, well, this is ridiculous. People can get abortions for any reason, any time. And uh, why are you saying about Down syndrome? And, and it, it kind of, you know, smokes them out. It, it smokes them out. You know, this particular person was articulating what is true. People can get abortions for any reason, but when you hang a uh, eugenics label on them, they uh, get very upset about that. Oh, no, no, they, they, they're pure. Their motives are absolutely pure. They don't want to be accused of any underhanded um, agenda, but the, the reality is the reality. They just don't look at the consequences of their actions. They prefer not to deal with that messy business of eugenics or of um, the consequences of what damage it does to the lives of women who have abortions mm-hmm. and have to live with that guilt and pain the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want to deal with any of that. You know, I was uh, when I was reading uh, about it, you mentioned about Iceland uh, virtually eliminating Down syndrome from their country. The United Kingdom was 90% of women who were diagnosed with uh, having a Down's uh, baby abort their babies. In Denmark, 98%. Um, so this is really an application of, um, of eugenics. It truly is. And, you know, people often say when you make comparisons to other jurisdictions, other countries, well, this is, that's there, that's, this is America. You know, human nature is human nature. Mm-hmm. And that's what drives these decisions and misinformation that drives people to make these choices. It's tragic. It's not necessary. And it always ends up in what they you know, we call a slippery slope. You start, mm-hmm. you think, it's oh, it's only going to be a few cases. And before you know it, time goes by, and it's almost 100% of instances where people are doing this. It starts snowballing, and in a way you can't stop it. Yeah. So it's, it's, this is an attempt to intercede at a point, I mean, 40%, almost 50% of babies. And this data is based on the most recent information, which is only, which is only from 2017. I don't know what it is today. Yeah. It could well be more than 49%, yeah. but I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if it were. Well, especially so, especially since they're coming up with uh, ways to detect trisomy 21 Down syndrome. Uh, they used to have to do uh, either an amniocentesis, where a needle is put into the woman's abdomen and you draw out fluid, 
uh, or they uh, do what's called chorionic villus uh, sampling, um, which, which can be done a little earlier. That's also invasive, where you have to do a pelvic exam and try to sample some of the uh, placenta. Now there's blood tests that are more specific and can pick this up earlier, and that just increases the likelihood that, that uh, more Downs babies will be uh, aborted. Exactly. That's yeah. one of the contributors to the um, soaring rate of abortion is the, the ability to do diagnostic testing. Yeah. You know, one irony that uh, struck me was that the person who described and discovered the cause of Down syndrome, the one who, who found out that it was an extra chromosome, the, the 21st, uh, these, these babies have uh, three of the of chromosome 21 instead of just two. And uh, the one who found that in 1958 was Dr. Jerome Lejeune, a French uh, physician, who was ardently pro-life. And he would be rolling over in his grave if he knew that uh, things like this were being done. In fact, he, he uh, you know, when people were starting to use it in a eugenic sort of way, it, 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 uh, he was very... Uh, upset about it. He, he, by the way, may be Saint Jerome Lejeune at some point. He's already been made uh, uh, venerable, which is sort of the first step towards sainthood. And if, uh, and if a miracle is discovered that he was involved with, uh, he would be blessed and then finally a saint. So he's, he's actually on the, on the path to uh, uh, sainthood, which is Kind of ironic that uh, this eugenic push, as far as Down syndrome is concerned, is an outcome of, of the discovery that, that he made. That's something, yeah. Yeah. All right, so we're moving right along here. Now we're on the fourth bill, and that is uh, entitled uh, An Act Relative to uh, Taxation. Tell us about that, Pat. Well, your listeners, many may not know that their tax dollars are paying for abortions in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Actual figures are very hard to obtain, but we know that by order of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court, the Commonwealth does continue to pay to provide public funding for abortions. Massachusetts exempts certain medical professionals and others applying to attend healthcare fields of study or who are participating and are objecting to participating in abortion procedures or they don't want to counsel about abortion or recommend or assist in abortions, if doing so is contrary to their religious beliefs mm -hmm. or moral convictions. Mm -hmm. There is no such protection for taxpayers who oppose abortion and object to having their tax dollars pay for them. Yep. So what Bill H3005 seeks to do is remedy this by giving taxpayers an option to indicate on their income tax form, this is the state income tax form, that they want the portion of their taxes that would go to pay for abortion to be used instead to promote and support the Baby Safe Haven Program. Hmm. This Baby Safe Haven Program is an initiative that permits a desperate parent to surrender a baby up to seven days old at a designated facility in a hospital, a police station, or a manned fire station with no criminal liability. This initiative has had a 95% success rate 
in reducing the number of abandoned babies in Massachusetts. So it's a very wonderful program, but it has no mechanism for funding. So if this tax proposal were permitted, it would provide them with necessary funding. And it's similar to what happens uh, when you on your tax form see that option to contribute to state election campaign fund. If it's a spouse, each spouse contributes $1. It doesn't increase the amount of anybody's taxes. It doesn't decrease the amount of taxes that are collected. It just redirects $1 to this purpose of the state election campaign fund. Mm -hmm. That's what this bill would do by redirecting taxes that would go for abortion to the Basie Safe Haven program. It doesn't reduce tax liability or decrease the amount of taxes the Commonwealth collects. It just ends an unfair and discriminatory treatment of taxpayers who violate their religious and moral convictions by paying for abortions that they oppose. Yeah, and I I, I was just going to say that uh, I know I don't want my tax money going for abortion. I know you don't. I know, you know, most, if not all, of our uh, listeners uh, don't want to do that. And this is a great way to say, all right, you're taxing me for abortion. Well, my money is going to go to save babies. The other thing that I like about this is that, you know, how do you argue against it? How do you say, oh, no, you all of your money has to go to killing babies. You can't have any of your money going to save babies. So well, it's, it's really going to be hard to, uh, to fight this. Well, and also, I mean, they do grant these exemptions to certain medical professionals mm-hmm. who don't want to do, they want to perform the abortion. So why should people who oppose abortion have to pay for the abortion? Exactly. I mean, you know, it's completely inequitable and unfair. And so it would just give the same conscience protection enjoyed by other Massachusetts citizens to some taxpayers who have the same feelings and revulsion about abortion. I hope this has a hearing because I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, putting opponents of this bill on the hot seat and explain why they think that, you know, all the money should go to killing babies and and not to saving them. The final bill that uh, you uh, submitted is another one that I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully have a hearing about because I can't imagine uh, people, uh, you know, what tack they would take to fight against this. But it's uh, an act relative to instruction in pregnancy and pre- and postnatal care. Uh, Say a little bit about that, Pat. Well, this is House Bill 662, and it is something that really is basic common sense and very necessary. The curricula for sexuality and reproductive health education in Massachusetts appears in the so-called Frameworks mm-hmm. curriculum book. Uh, it's published by the Massachusetts Department of Education. The Frameworks mentions the study of the human life cycle as part of the curriculum, but it pays extremely little attention to the beginning of the human life cycle, which is the development and growth of the human baby in utero. Bill 662 seeks to secure this oversight by mandating for 7th, 8th, or ninth grade students that they receive instruction in prenatal human development, according to the National Institute of Health. And this would include anatomical and physiological characteristics of an unborn child uh, from fertilization to birth. Now, the reason this kind of instruction is important is because studies have shown that Insufficient knowledge of the prenatal development 
leads to poor prenatal care, Mm -hmm. bad nutrition, and pursuit of risky behaviors during a teen's pregnancy. Whereas if they have a better and complete understanding of prenatal uh, development, it can help prevent complications during pregnancy, promote fetal health and development, and reduce the risk for the fetus and ensure that, for example, drugs a teenager may take for acne treatment, that they're safe for the developing child. Mm -hmm. Teenagers are getting pregnant in Massachusetts. In 2017, again, the most recent year for which statistics are available, there were 904 pregnancies of teens, age 17 to younger than 15. Fifty of these were in the younger than 15 age group. Mm. So teenagers are getting pregnant and need this information. A fair, fact-based appreciation of the humanity of the unborn child in utero may help to deter teenage pregnancy mm-hmm. and avoid teenage abortions. In addition, um, the instruction it also is mandated on postnatal care for teens so that they will better be prepared to meet the actual expectations and responsibilities of parenting and increase the likelihood of successful outcomes for mother, father, and baby. Yeah. So this is a this is a bill that's much been long overdue and just makes, as I said, common sense to yeah. include in the curriculum. Yeah, and I also like the fact that it, the people who are pushing comprehensive sex education, it, it hoists them on their own petard. You know, they're trying to push sex education and, and ultimately trying to get them steered to Planned Parenthood to have abortions. Well, this will hopefully do the opposite. If we mandate that that fetal development be taught, and then it's going to be less likely that these uh, teenagers will seek an abortion if they can see what is what is going on within them and uh, that they're, it's not just a clump of cells that they can get rid of at uh, Planned Parenthood. Right, and it may also hopefully deter some from engaging in sexual activity that they're not prepared to face the outcomes, the potential outcome of parenthood in that, you know, in that process. So there's a lot that could, could be gained by providing this kind of instruction. Why the schools don't do it is a mystery to me. It's, it's terribly unfortunate, but hopefully one day they will get around to it, and maybe this will spur some to reconsider that whole issue. This concludes part two of my interview with Pat Stewart, Executive Director of Massachusetts Citizens for Life. We have discussed five pro-life bills which she has submitted on behalf of MCFL. Tune in next week for part three of the interview when we will discuss another bill, Senate Bill 1470, which has been submitted by pro-abortion legislators. This outrageous bill seeks to mandate public universities in Massachusetts to provide medical abortion. Until next time, remember, we should always treat life with care and respect And at the very least, we should first do no harm. First, do no harm with Dr. Mark Rollo 
is produced at WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Fitchburg. We are very happy to share it with other networks. Thank you for tuning in to First Do No Harm. Dr. Rollo welcomes your questions and comments. You may contact him at markrollo978 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-R-O-L-L-O 978 at gmail.com. Thank you, and until next week, remember, first, do no harm.